This is the Bible in One Year Express, day 251. Winning the spiritual battle. The tragic image is unforgettable. Like so many people, I wept as I saw the picture of three-year-old Alan Curdy's little body washed up on the shoreline in Turkey. He had drowned together with his brother and mother as his family fled the war in Syria. One of the biggest causes of the current European refugee crisis is warfare. Over 500,000 people have been killed in the civil war in Syria in recent years. In Iraq, ISIS have murdered thousands of innocent people, many of them Christians, and displaced tens of thousands of people, again many of them Christians. Appalling terrorist attacks around the world now occur with alarming regularity. These atrocities are extreme and horrific instances of a violence that has always taken place at every level of society. Brother, fight brother. Neighbor, fight neighbor. City, fight city. Kingdom, fight kingdom. Anarchy and chaos and killing. Virtually every day in the media, we see the horrors of warfare. We live in a world that is constantly developing even more terrible weapons of physical warfare. These weapons have the power to maim, kill, and destroy. But this warfare is not purely physical. The issues that give rise to it, as many in both politics and the media acknowledge, are profoundly moral and spiritual. Just as physical warfare is a serious global issue, so, according to the Apostle Paul, is spiritual warfare. This is unseen, but it's just as real. The great Welsh preacher Dr Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, There is no grosser or greater misrepresentation of the Christian message than that which depicts it as an offering of a life of ease with no battle and struggle at all. Sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. In this battle, you are called not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. You are given the weapons with which to win the battle. Paul writes, We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are these weapons? How do you use them? From Psalm 106. In the camp, they grew envious of Moses and of Aaron, who was consecrated to the Lord. They forgot the God who saved them. So he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to keep his wrath from destroying them? Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents and did not obey the Lord. And a plague broke out among them. But Phinehas stood up and intervened. This was credited to him as righteousness for endless generations to come. The Weapon of Prayer The psalmist recalls the leadership and ministry of Moses. Some became jealous about God's powerful use of Moses and Aaron. In the camp, they grew envious of Moses and Aaron. Moses' response was not to protect himself, Rather, it was to pray for them. He stood in the breach before God and interceded for them. In the account of Exodus 32, 
we see how by the power of prayer it is possible to change the course of history. Phinehas was another who intervened on behalf of the people. His intervention must have stemmed from his faith. We're told here that as with Abraham, it was credited to him as righteousness. The powerful weapon of prayer is available to you. Pray for your family, friends, and all those who the Spirit inspires you to pray for. Stand in the breach and intercede on behalf of others. As Jeremy Jennings says at the end of every prayer meeting at HDB, thank you for praying. You have made a difference. Lord, thank you for the power of intercessory prayer. Today, I want to stand in the breach and intercede for. New Testament from 2 Corinthians 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I do not want to seem to be trying to frighten you with my letters. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Such people should realise that what we are in our letters when we are absent, we will be in our actions when we are present. We're not going too far in our boasting, as would be the case if we would not come to you, for we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we can preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. The weapon of the gospel. Your mind is a battlefield. Your thoughts are at the root of your words and actions. The devil seeks to set up strongholds in your mind. Paul knew that at the heart of the spiritual battle is the battle for the mind. There's a sense in which each of us is involved in an individual spiritual battle in our own mind. This is a daily battle to resist the temptation of wrong thoughts and take captive every thought to obey Christ. Although Paul alludes to the individual battle of the mind here, he was primarily thinking of something a little different. There was a cultural battle going on, a battle of ideas, philosophies and worldviews. Paul actively engaged in this battle to take on those competing ideas, philosophies and worldviews, to take them captive in obedience to Christ. Paul wrote, The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. The weapons Paul uses 
have divine power to demolish strongholds. His power comes from belonging to Christ and he's been given authority by the Lord himself. I find it encouraging that some people said to Paul, in person, he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. However, he points out, in all this comparing and grading and competing, they quite miss the point. Comparison is corrosive. It either puffs you up to pride or drives you down to despair. Don't compare yourself with other Christians, your gifts with their gifts, your success with their success. We're all on the same side. We should be trying to help, love and encourage one another as we fight the spiritual battle together. Thankfully, you do not have to appear impressive, nor do you have to be an exceptional communicator to preach the gospel. Paul's power came from the gospel of Christ. His desire was to preach the gospel to people who had never heard it. Ultimately, it is the message of Christ that will change your culture. It is the most powerful message in the world. It's life-changing. It is culture-changing. It is world-changing. Every time you tell a friend about Jesus, invite them to church or bring them along to Alpha, for example, you are engaging in the spiritual battle with the powerful weapon of the gospel. Lord, help me to take every thought captive to obey you and give me the courage to use the powerful weapon of the gospel to destroy strongholds. Old Testament from Isaiah 17 to 19. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians and in that day they will acknowledge the Lord. They will turn to the Lord and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. In that day, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. The Weapon of Unity Each year at our leadership conference at the Royal Albert Hall in London, we've had the privilege of welcoming thousands of Christian leaders from all around the world. There's something very powerful about leaders from numerous countries coming together in worship and unity of purpose. The prophet Isaiah foresees this kind of unity. He continues to prophesy against those who have forgotten God, your Saviour. He declares God's judgment against Damascus, Cush and Egypt. However, our passage today ends with a note of hope. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt. It will be a sign and witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a saviour and defender, and he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and in that day they will acknowledge the Lord. They will turn to the Lord, and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. He goes on to say that the Egyptians and Assyrians, modern-day Iraqis, will worship together. No longer rivals, they will worship together. Egyptians and Assyrians. The conversion of the Gentiles seems to have been foreseen by Isaiah. He sees a time when others besides the people of Israel will turn to the Lord. 
He will hear their prayers and heal them. People of different nations will worship the Lord together. This unity will bring great blessing. He foresees a time when the Lord's people from Egypt, Iraq and Israel come together for worship. Surely we see one way in which this prophecy is fulfilled when Christians from these nations and others come together in worship. However, we can also pray for and look forward to the day when the prophecy will be completely fulfilled, when a multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language will worship together before the throne of God. Lord, thank you for the power of the weapons you have given us for the spiritual battle. As we unite, pray and proclaim the gospel, may we see your victory in our lives and in our society. In Jesus' name. Pepper adds. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, I, Paul, am timid when face to face with you, but bold when I'm away. I can relate to that. It's very encouraging that Paul felt intimidated when having to face the Corinthian church. Talking face to face with somebody in a difficult situation is usually the best thing to do. But also a well-written constructive letter can be very helpful. The one thing that's not a good thing to do is sending off cross emails. That can be very dangerous.